Hey there, Film Buds. Welcome back to the Film Buds podcast. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm Lauren. And this is our first episode of May. Yay! Uh, it's episode 219. Um, we just finished up, of course, if you're, if you're new to the show or, uh, you know, that sort of thing. Every month we sort of do a theme on on the Film Buds podcast, you know, we don't just go and cover whatever. We try and keep it all underneath a certain umbrella. And so last month we were doing just April holidays at large, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of different stuff. We ended strong with a a double header uh, of guests with Madeline and Nick Delgadillo, friends of the show, joining us for Arbor Day. Yes, very important. The, <laughs> the most important holiday in April. The glamorous holiday of Arbor Day. Fantastic. Can't stop talking about it. <laughs> it's, it's the rave about town. Everyone is talking about what they were doing on Arbor Day. That's right. Uh, so, it was a good episode. That was last week's episode. This month, you know, we, we planned out the themes months ago i think we actually planned them in december i think it was december and it was it was a real process we sat down with a calendar yes because um i had gotten a calendar for christmas from from my parents um because it's it's something that i would get as like a stocking stuffer every year is just a new calendar for the for the next year so yeah, we we sat down with the, with the new calendar and like mapped out the year real quick. Actually, we took the the old one. Yeah, we took we the like, old one and we took the the sort of year at large of it. Yeah, like and the last final part of the the calendar and really just like wrote out what um what we wanted to do for the rest of the the months. We we pretty much we planned out the whole like all 12. I think there are there were, maybe a few question marks of what we may or may not do with certain ones, but for the but, most part, no, you're right. We've locked down the like, theme of every month. Yeah, I mean, some months were harder, and I think that that's why with April, we kind of went with just, like, April holidays just as, like, at large, because there wasn't, like, you know, it's not, like, uh, or December that you can just slap it right into to holidaydom and call it a day. Yeah. You know. Or October, make it Halloween. Exactly, exactly. So, it certain months were definitely harder, and, and like you said with April, we even thought about maybe doing like a, just a full month of nothing but nature docs at yeah. one point as well, because there were so many Earth-related holidays in April and it's spring, and that kind of thing. But... We ended up going in a different direction. May is another one that we talked about different ideas for what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're if you're tuning into this, you probably have sunset some sense of what we're doing. If you've read it, if you somehow ended up on this blindly, amazing. Yeah, uh, maybe if you're just I don't know being held captive in a in a car. And you have no control over the radio, and someone just sort of put this on, and, mm. and this is what you're now hearing. Mm. Hey, I think that mm-hmm. this is this is probably better than, like, any version of, like, sermons on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, that's fair. So, uh, this month, we're, we, we talked about doing a few different things for May, because May is kind of like summer movie season, May is also kind of that 
that end of spring, beginning of summer feeling in general. Yeah. And we talked about doing a whole bunch of different things for for May. And whenever we're looking at what to do for a month, especially a month that isn't as obvious again like October, mm-hmm. we like to go and look at what's going on in that month. And I think we've talked a little bit about this process before, what the holidays are, if there's a theme for that month overall, like a heritage month happening. And yeah, um, or... Oh yeah, I guess I guess heritage is a is a good word for it, you know. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like lineage in a in I guess a biological sense, but like also heritage in like a, a cultural key. sense. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so what we ended up doing was uh May is Asian American uh Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Mhm. And as I mentioned in the newsletter that I sent out, uh, that you should have signed up for. And if you didn't, don't worry, you can sign up and get the next one. Uh, there's always another. There's always another. As I mentioned in the newsletter, you know, we're, we're big proponents of, you know, film being a window and art being a window into culture and exposing people to those things and exposing ourselves to new perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. And the power of a film as an empathetic tool. And so it seemed like a, a you know, since we, we wanted to try this out this year where we do all these different themes and we wanted to include several of these uh, heritage months and cultural perspective months, that sort of thing. So we did Women's History Month. Mm-hmm. For, for March. Correct. Uh, and so now we decided that we would do Asian American... Uh, Pacific Islander Heritage Month this month. And so all month long, we're going to be focusing on uh, films that take an AAPI lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're kind of going across a few different ideas and styles and textures and decades. Right now, we're starting with sort of like one of the most, if not the f- first hugely iconic uh, on a on an international level, Asian film star Bruce Lee, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll be moving on, and we'll be doing some documentary stuff. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing comedies. Uh, it's going to be a fun month. I'm really looking forward to to the month, and we also have some pers- some sort of like a cultural conversation sort of topic ideas to discuss as well with some of the episodes mm-hmm. um like uh like asian uh american like content streaming sections on streaming platforms i thought that it would be fun to go and like look at some of those and talk about how things like netflix oh. goes and does you know like aapi heritage month movie collection you oh know, yeah, in they'll that tab. they'll well they do it every time every mm-hmm. you know every time that there's a any kind of group that they're trying to get to use their service in abundance they're gonna slap they did the same thing for Black History Month and so I thought that it would be cool well not cool but interesting to next week maybe between now and next week go and look at some of those look at some of the titles that are there and and talk about that somewhat next week i thought could be a, an interesting talking sure point. sure so that's kind of what's in store for the month overall uh dear or is there anything that you're looking forward to this month 
Um, getting to watch, I know for a fact, a whole bunch of movies that I've never seen before. Mm. Um, I know that we've been talking a lot about which, which ones we wanted to do, and I'm, I'm really lacking, I guess, in, in this genre specifically of, like, I guess, knowledge base. Like, this was the first Bruce Lee movie that I've ever seen, so... You know, I've got a long, long way to go from uh, that that Jackie Chan movie with Chris Tucker. Rush Hour? Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. That's the one that that totally came to, to my mind first. <laughs> um, no, and that's, but that's also, I think, the fun of this. And we talked yeah. about this as well, is that, you know, I am... A once upon a time, long ago, now teacher, and I love learning and I love sharing information. So, some of this is also a process by which I get to go and travel down avenues that I'm curious about learning more about. Mm-hmm. So that way, I can then go and talk to you people about it. Mm-hmm. You people. Well, really, you just get to hear me ramble because yeah. you people don't send me questions. But we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) wow. uh, but I thought that it would be fun to start this episode with also a little bit of, of context about, um, AAPI as a sort of label, what all it entails, uh, and also sort of the history also of, of Asian Americans, uh, and, and how, how they came to be you know, such a, such a collective part of, of American culture. Awesome. In very broad strokes. We're not going to go like too deep into it. And that's also not, you know, like, but, but it's going to be fine. (laughs) It's going to be fine, guys. Just, just hang on tight and it's going to be fine. So, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander, um, incorporates a very diverse sect of the American population, 23 million Americans are AAPI. Okay, um, how many, I guess, Americans are there to, to, to put that into perspective? 329 million. Okay, and then this, so what was the number again? Uh, 23 million. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, and they come from 50 specific ethnic backgrounds 50 or more specific ethnic backgrounds that are spread across about 40 or more countries uh in in the pacific Mm -hmm. and so and in parts of asia um the countries that make up asia asia is a massive block you know when we talk asia you know i think most people probably just assume the, the sort of big ones, you know, Japanese, Chinese, um, Vietnamese, Korean. I think most people probably just assume that it's sort of that kind of thing. But we're talking about a massive AAPI talks about a heritage group that in- includes people from uh, several different subgroups. There are seven subgroups. So it's Eastern Asia, which does have China, Japan, Korea, Macau, Mongolia, Parcel Islands, and Taiwan. Okay. Uh, then you have South Central Asia, and this is Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Iran, 
all the way as far west now as Kazakhstan, uh, Kyrgyzstan, Maldives, Nepal, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. So now we're starting to also get over more into that like true Eurasia sort of quadrant, really butting up to like Turkey Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Southeastern Asia includes uh, Cambodia, uh, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Brunei, and Myanmar, formerly Burma, I believe, or maybe I have that backwards. Western Asia is Armenia, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Bahrain, Cyprus, Iraq, Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Amman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Turkey, the UAE, and Yemen. So now we've traveled even just a little bit further west as well with some of these. So that's everything that's on this sort of like main connected landmass block mm-hmm. that that we consider Asia. Then you move into the actual Pacific Ocean, and that's when you get into the um, Pacific Island part of the culture, right? Because it's mm-hmm. Asian American and Pacific Islands. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so once you get into that, they're broken up into the three sort of groups of islands, which are Melanesia, Micronesia, and Polynesia. Uh, Polynesia is where New Zealand, Hawaii, that sort of thing uh, are located, or those sorts of places are located. Micronesia includes Guam, uh, and it's actually large, it's, it's like the most north group of the Pacific Islands, Micronesia is. Uh, and then Melanesia includes New Guinea, uh, Fiji, that sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a, a majority of the AAPI population in the U.S. is comprised of uh, people of Chinese, Filipino, Indian, Japanese, Korean, and Vietnamese descent. Okay. So that's a little bit of background in just sort of what terminology and what sort of group of people it is that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. It's a huge umbrella. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's just like saying African, like that's a huge umbrella, mm-hmm. you know? So we're talking about a very, very diverse group of cultures across a pretty massive expanse of space. Mm-hmm. Um, so for some background on Asians and, and how they came to America and that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, Asians were coming to America for a very long period of time, but there are specific points in history where there was an uptick. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, a noticeable, measurable increase. The first of which is considered to take place in the 1800s. Um, so around 1849-ish is where there is a very large influx of immigrants from China uh, due to the California gold rush. Mm-hmm. Because, right, America is now also now... I was thinking about it when I was looking some of this up. America is now all the way over there, so it's not some sort of, like, trip around all of Asia into Europe to then come around to America. You know, now America's right there at California. Yes. So it's also now just uh, in terms of, like, what it means to come to America, it's now also just by the mid-1800s a much shorter journey. 
Well, yeah, because it's not just New York anymore. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the port cities. It's... Yeah. Um, and so they start to arrive in, um, and it has one of the classic kickback issues of there's a lot of xenophobia associated with it. Mm-hmm. So by 1875, there's an act created called the Page Act. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to ban the recruitment um, or transporting of labor for mines or for prostitution uh, that's like involuntary or that sort of thing. But really what's ending up happening is it's just sort of like a immigrant exclusion act. Mm-hmm. Because then they're stopping anyone, interviewing them, trying to determine whether they're, you know, here correctly or not. It's a stop and frisk. Yeah, kind of a thing. Gotcha. And they're rejecting a lot of people, and what ends up happening is it's pretty much stopping all women from coming over into America. Because what is the, you know, at least the men can work. Mm-hmm. What is what is your good here? Yeah, I get that. Um, and so it's it's essentially just an anti-immigrant law. Mm -hmm. uh 1882 there are there's continued of course anti-asian sentiment especially at at chinese people and there is literally the chinese exclusion act uh banning all chinese immigrants from entry Uh, it's a baldly anti-asian bill uh but it's extended every 10 years until 1943 and part of the thing that changes it is the want for uh, the Asian immigrant labor force, but a growing anti-Japanese sentiment. Mm. So, uh, that's a little bit of a, of a background there. Uh, in March of 1885, there, the California Supreme Court rules that all children are entitled to an education due to, um, an Asian American child, uh, I think that her parents were Chinese, um, being not, being unallowed to go to school and her family suing and that going all the way to the California State Supreme Court. Wow, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tape, the, the case is Tape versus Hurley. And so it, it guaranteed in California, you know, it created the precedent that all children are entitled to an education. Um, then in terms of continued not great news and very upsetting violent sort of history so content warning on that uh in 1885 and 1887 there are two different massacres that are both targeted at uh asian uh communities Mm -hmm. and um the first one is at rock springs it's a mining community uh the town is attacked and sort of raided essentially uh that results in 28 deaths and 15 injuries uh the federal troops are ended up end up actually bringing all of the people back to the mining community and congress actually paid for the property losses congress paid money for something Mm -hmm, but it was probably like a pittance of what it should have been you know what i mean but still yeah to your point yes amazing fascinating uh, the next one was Hell's Canyon, which, like I said, was two years later. 37 end up being dead, but none of the perpetrators are brought to justice, even though three of them end up standing trial. Um, that sounds, that sounds correct. That sounds correct of American history. Uh, 1910, 
there is another wave of uh, Asian immigrants that start to sort of uptick. And a lot of what ends up happening on the West Coast is there's an echo sort of of Ellis Island. And a lot of what ends up happening, if you really look at like American history, there's sort of a, like a, if it happens on the East Coast, the West Coast does it kind of on a, on a certain level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like they had Ellis Island. California ends up getting what's called Angel Island in the San Francisco Bay. And it yes. is a similar concept of it's a immigration hub. And it also has a lot of the same problems of poor living conditions, of people who can't speak English and advocate for themselves being held in holding cells indefinitely and in poor conditions in those holding cells. So Angel Island, not a great reputation either. Not a great name. They really, they really kicked themselves with that one. Uh, apparently from 1910 to 1940, when they closed Angel Island, 200,000, uh, Chinese and Japanese immigrants came through Angel Island during that 30-year window. Um, 1942, FDR, of course, uh, signs Japanese internment into effect, which lasts for four years. Over 100,000 people are interned. And of that group, about two-thirds of them are American-born. Oh, gosh. October 1965, Lyndon Johnson signs the Immigration and Nationality Act, also known as the Hart-Celler Act, which ends all policies based on ethnicity, race, and quotas, resulting in uh, a large population influx. Immigration policies, I should specify, based on ethnicity, race, and quotas. Uh, And so then in 65, there's another large flux in the population. Interesting. Um, This is, again, a very, very broad brush, and it doesn't include our relationship to Hawaii or certain other things. But this is, again, just sort of a very broad strokes history uh, of the whole whole thing. Um, For a little bit of background on... Uh, AAPI Heritage Month as a concept overall. It was actually began as an idea in the 70s by a woman named Jeannie Zhu, uh, and she was an OCA Asian Pacific American Advocate member, and she worked as a staffer in Congress. Okay. And so she brought this idea to a representative staff member's attention, Representative Frank Horton, and so he brought it forward in 1977 along with Norman Mineta. Um, and then Sena- Senators Daniel Inouye and Spark Matsunaga put forth legislation um, designating the first 10 days of May as Asian Pacific Heritage Week. Okay. Uh, and so it was signed into law in October of 78. And so the first Asian American... Asian Pacific Heritage Week was held May 1979. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, May is chosen because of two specific things in regards to Asian American heritage and and the month of May. The first one is that back in 1843, a 13-year-old or 14-year-old young man named Manjiro ends up getting adopted um, by a naval captain, and 
um, he becomes, like, the first Asian immigrant on, like, any official documented record is, is this kid. Hmm. Uh, the other reason that they did it is because May is when the Transcontinental Railroad was completed back in the 1800s. Um, 1869, to be exact. And so since so much Chinese labor and Asian labor was involved in the construction of the railroad that was completed in May, they picked those... They picked May as, as, as the month. Um... Like I said, the first one was held in 79. In 1990, H.W. is the president that signed the legislation that took it from a week to a month. Wow. Did not know that H.W. did that. Mm-hmm. And in 2009, uh, it was Obama that signed Proclamation 8369 that officially designated it as Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Gotcha. Um, so that's a little bit of of backstory on the holiday um and then lastly before we we jump into the whole meat of this thing uh, i did have some some famous asian american pacific islander people uh to real quickly share with y'all through history Mm -hmm. lovely uh so some from history some now uh we've got uh dalip sanud uh sound who was the first Asian and first Indian and first Sikh man to ever serve in Congress. Uh, He was the representative of California from 1957 until 1963. Wow. Uh, We've got Hiram Fong, who was the first Asian senator and uh, first senator of Hawaii in 59. Hmm. Uh, He is a child of Chinese immigrants, and he served in Congress until 1977. He is the only Republican senator to have ever served in Hawaii. Huh. And then there is Lili Ukulani, the last queen of Hawaii, who was born in 1838. She was, she took power after her brother passed away in 1891, and right at her taking over is essentially when the U.S. decided that it wanted to undermine Hawaii and and annex it to annex, like, the sugar industry, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so it, it organized a coup d'etat using locals and overthrew her. And so she only reigned for about three years. How old, Do you know how old she was? Uh, let's see, she was born in 38, she was on the throne in 91, so she was in her... 50s? uh, Yeah, her 50s. Hmm. Uh, and then from the present, uh, I decided to go, and we've got Korean-American restaurateur, author, author and producer, David Chang. Oh yeah, he's the the one who does the the show that your parents like. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Chinese-American author Amy Tan. Mm-hmm. We've got Indian-American filmmaker and writer M. Night Shyamalan. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so those were a few names that I wanted to bring up in conjunction of, of celebrating people of note. Nice. Um, 
So with all of that said, our movie this month, we decided that we were going to do a Bruce Lee movie. If we're doing Asian American sort of heritage, we wanted to go and look back historically. And, and the problem when you start to look back historically is that most of American Hollywood cinema is very white. What? I know, it's shocking. And so we were looking at it and we had this idea of, of what about doing one of the movies of, you know, like the first really big international um, Asian film star. And so we, we started looking at the idea and we decided that we would go and we would do a Bruce Lee movie. Mm-hmm. And we did Way of the Dragon. So... I guess without any further ado, I should go ahead and, and jump into it. Um, Bruce Lee, uh, of course, was born... He was actually born in San Francisco, but he grew up in China. He grew up in Hong Kong for most of his life. And he was a child actor. Really? Yeah. He, uh, he was a child actor. He was in several films growing up, and he began to study martial arts at the age of 13. Wow. Man, I could have been amazing if I had stuck with it than Bruce Lee was. Uh, at 18, he moved to America and settled in Seattle. Uh, he continued to attend university. He also became a martial arts instructor and eventually opened up his own school. Uh, he got married in 1964 and had two children, Brandon and Shannon, um, and they relocated to L.A. In 66, he gets discovered because mm -hmm. he's now, you know, in the L.A. area and, and he is teaching some famous people as well. Mm-hmm. And so he gets discovered and he's put in the Green Hornet, which only lasts for one season. Yes, he's, um... Cato. Yes. And, you know, he has he has some other roles, um, but he is still also having to teach as well. He creates his own form of martial arts called Jeet Kune Do. Um, some of his clients have included, uh, or, incl or some of his students include people like Chuck Norris and several other famous LA types. I love that because he's, isn't he in this one? Mm-hmm. Perfect. It's his film debut. Oh my gosh. And so he continues to work, but it's not necessarily going the way that he wants to. He goes and he continues to also make some films in Hong Kong. And he ends up in a three-picture deal with a company called Golden Harvest, where he makes The Big Boss, Fist of Fury, and The Way of the Dragon. And they're massive, massive hits. You know, they really blow open the door for martial arts cinema. Mm -hmm. They blow open Bruce Lee as like a star because they've got small budgets, but they make huge money. And it really starts to, to change a whole bunch of things. And because of his whole success and everything, they actually end up brokering a deal where there's going to be a co-financed movie between a U.S. studio and a Hong Kong studio. And it's going to be Warner Brothers and Golden Harvest, as well as Bruce Lee's studio. 
Concord Pictures. And that movie would end up being Enter the Dragon, which he died before it was released. He finished making the film, but then he ended up dying. His death is a little bit complicated. It's it's written off as an allergy, well not written off, but it's written down as an allergy to the medication that he took. He took like a pain med of some kind. But there's also some speculation that his brain might have been swollen at the time from heat and dehydration because he was apparently having some stro- or uh, some seizure issues around that time. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, he died at the age of 32. Wow, I didn't know that he was that young. Mm-hmm. July 20th, 1973. Wow. Yeah. Uh, like I said, Way of the Dragon was a part of a three-picture deal. Um, Golden Harvest, the company that did this, was started by some guys who worked at a production company called Shaw Brothers, quit, and then snaked everyone out from underneath them. Oh, no. And they did it by offering more lucrative contracts to them, and the way that they got Bruce Lee was they offered a better deal. Well, that's how you get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he agreed to a 15000 contract for the three movies. Hmm. Um... And he made all of them, um, they were massive, massive hits. Um, this one he directed. He wrote, he directed it, he was the stunt coordinator for it, and he even played some percussion on the soundtrack for it. Oh my gosh, wow. Um, and so it was, it was a whole big deal. And it had a budget of 130000 and it grossed $130 million. Woo! Yeah. Buddy! Uh, so, The Way of the Dragon was released August 14th, 1972. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is written and directed, as I said, by Bruce Lee. It stars uh, John T. Ben... Uh, Fu Xin Chen, Ti Chin, Chung Xin Huang, uh, Bruce Lee, of course, Tony Liu, Norm Miao, uh, Chuck Norris, Little Unicorn. W- who? Little Unicorn. And Robert Wall. <laughs> <laughs> and our plot is a man visits his relatives at their restaurant in Italy and has to help them defend against brutal uh, defend against a brutal gangster harassing them. Uh and so that is the way of the dragon. That's a little bit of history and background. Uh dear, you mentioned that this was your first Bruce Lee movie. What did you think of it? What did you think of Bruce Lee? Okay, um I really enjoyed this movie a lot. I think that he's a phenomenal martial artist and I really enjoyed um how how theatrical and like very campy the the whole movie is. Um and like they're taking it seriously, but they're also like doing it for the back row, you know, very much. Um 
and I just, I, I really enjoyed, I, I don't know why I wasn't expecting it to be um, completely dubbed. I, I was expecting subtitles. I had prepared for it mentally, physically, and emotionally to to sit there and read a movie. And I was like, very pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. But then I was very distracted by how much the mouths didn't match. Um, which now I know where movies like Kung Fu Hustle are like getting the jokes from. You know what I mean? No, yeah, for sure. Um, but I like, I, I enjoyed the ride. It feels very seventies, but it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's amazing that what you can do with like, you know, not a lot of money and you know, just, a, just a bunch of people around and you're like, all right, here's the script. Let's do this thing. Like it's, it, it doesn't feel, I guess, very like we needed to have movie stars here. <laughs> no, but, but like. That's also the 70s. We don't need to have movie stars to make a good movie. This movie made millions of dollars. Fantastic. Well, and... Um, there are... You, you mentioned some things about it that are very much of the time period when you're looking at also, like, the filmmaking techniques of it. It's dubbed. Part of that is because, like, back in the 70s, they were doing a lot of international shoots... But the way that you needed to, the way that you kept your costs down by shooting all over the world was you said, what do I absolutely need to take with me to shoot a movie? I need the actors. I need the cameras. I need the lights. I can do every, because, you know, we, we did movies. We shot movies silently for years before. We can do it again. And then everything else would be piped in in post. Mm -hmm. You know, that's how spaghetti westerns were done. No, yeah. Um, and so I think that that's what you're ending up seeing here, is that it's this Hong Kong production. It's a budget of 130000 and they were like, okay, now go and shoot in Rome. Honestly, <laughs> honestly. And I know that we had talked about um, this a little bit earlier in the, in the week, but I very much enjoyed uh, that they were just in Rome, but it wasn't like a big deal. Yeah. You know, like, they went sightseeing, but it was kind of like just watching a movie where the setting was New York for the 50th time. You and I, you know, there's only so many times that you can see the Empire State Building on a movie and go, wow. And, like, they were really just kind of like, yeah, it's super casual here. Like, look at us sightsee. But, like, that's not the that's not the point of this movie. The point of this movie is that this guy is going to kick some ass and and save this restaurant and he didn't even come here to do this, but he really wanted to. Like, the in, the entire movie, this man was, like, flexing and kicking and things and, like, random moments. Like, you knew that he was, like, any moment somebody's going to ask me, do I do martial arts? And I'm going to tell them, what? Hell yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, no, I he, he definitely, you know, he's he's one of those characters that's definitely... Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a of a of a cockiness, not much, but there's a little bit of a cockiness mm -hmm. that underlies some of of the character in in the way of the dragon. Um, so you had mentioned that this was your first one. Obviously, though, you were aware of like who Bruce Lee was before oh, this. Yeah. So I guess. 
out of all of your knowledge of like what you had of Bruce Lee before you saw this, what did this, how did this measure to sort of, I guess, what the pop culture version of Bruce Lee was? I that you think had in that, your um, I think that he's funnier than I was expecting him to be. I thought it was going to be like a really serious, like dramatic thing, kind of like Sword of Doom or something, you know, like very like somber like we're serious this guy's gonna go insane kind of thing but it was it was like it's it's i would consider this like it's like a comedy you know it's it's almost farcical in points where like people are like falling all over themselves and stuff because nobody else can fight but him and so it's just like a bunch of people like throwing themselves at bruce lee which is horrifying to think about you know in real life but um honestly other than that i thought that it was exactly what I was expecting I think even better than I was expecting um when it comes to to the martial arts itself it's 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 amazing he's he it's effortless and it's powerful and he's that one scene where he's just like standing around and like flexing and doing all this crazy stuff I was like this is insanity you know you're so small but then like there's so much power in it. it I understand where a lot of like kind of like superhero aesthetic came from it's 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 amazing what your body can do and this is real and that's the thing that's also just like so cool about it it's like this man is doing this right here right now in camera it's it's fantastic um I think that I was more impressed with the actual Bruce Lee than I was with um with the real life James Dean oh okay yeah, I see how you come to that. They they're similar sort of archetypes, right? These these uber icons of their time that died too young, right when it was getting good. Yeah, and everybody thinks about them and their career so nostalgically and so lovingly, mm-hmm. and like it's oh, you don't know who they are. You uh, haven't seen a James Dean movie. What are you crazy? Yeah, it's it's like that. Whereas like. I think that this deserves all of the the praise and that he he got in his career and the legacy that he, that his this has created for him and his and his family and his you know and I just of course this is this is unstoppable whereas like I was I was pretty like oh okay this is James Dean you say you know like once I heard his voice it was just kind of weird you know seeing the picture move because it was always just like some dude that people would put on a poster you know that's James yeah. Dean. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I see where I see what you're at with that. Um. So I I have this box set that I got years ago. That has the Big Boss, Fist of Fury, The Way of the Dragon, Game of Death, and Game of Death Two, and I watched these movies like years ago. I got this thing a long time ago. I watched these like a really long time ago. Um, and I really dug them. You know, I thought that they were awesome. I grew up, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching a lot of Jackie Chan movies and, and stuff. Because he was, in the 90s growing up, you were either like a Jet Li kid or you were you were a Jackie Chan kid. I Jackie feel. Chan all the way, man. <clears throat> Jackie Chan for the win. Maybe it was more of a thing amongst like, I don't know, like boys in the nineties or something, but like I mean, maybe, but I it was always Jackie. And so <laughs> I always liked Jackie Chan. So I grew up, you know, and I grew up like watching Shanghai Noon and Shanghai Nights and 
the Rush Hour movies, the Jackie Chan Adventure cartoon. Yes, yes, Love yes, that yes. Show. So going back and seeing, you know, where this originated from, because, I mean, this is the guy that really blew open this genre for for the world. No one had seen anything at all like this before. Yeah. No one had seen it. I mean, you look back at what an action movie was before Bruce Lee. Were we talking about, like, you, John Wayne? Yeah, we're talking about... And and not even that, really, because at least that, you've got at least the, some of the thrillingness of watching some real people do crazy shit on horses. You've got, like, no offense, you've got, like, Sean Connery doing, like, a ha throw of someone in, like, you know... The Bond movie yeah. or something, yeah. So you've got some of of Dr. No mm-hmm. sort of era. So when you look at action movies before Bruce Lee and you look at action movies after Bruce Lee, I think that there's undeniably almost immediately a cultural ripple of people feeling like they need to make it as cool, make it as real, make it as intense. Because he was just doing incredible stuff. No, I mean, he's yeah. lightning quick. It's it's effortless. It's amazing. It's it's literally like, you know, um how I imagine anime is looking in real life. You know, it's 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 otherworldly. Um there's there's truly nothing like it and the the amount of work that he put in to to do that is just mind-boggling. Um and I think, you know, you were talking earlier on about playing it to the back row. Mm-hmm. He, he also had a very profound philosophy of wanting to make sure everything was visually clear and visible and, and looked good. Well, I think that that's also kind of um, going back to the whole it's going to be dubbed into English kind of thing. Um is the is the fact that they also have to like get through the the understanding that like these people aren't saying the same lines and we need to figure out kind of like we need to match it you know with what they're going to say and so it kind of has to be a little bit more like tongue in cheek a little like wink at the camera bigger than life just to make sure that like everything is if you don't understand the language you still understand what's going on in the movie no, absolutely. Um, I I really enjoyed this a lot. I think that he also understands... I think that if there's definitely a series of films that I'm sure that Bruce Lee watched and, and ended up utilizing, um, it's westerns. Because I also felt like this had a very uh, western sort of story structure. I think that, you know, kind of how we, when we talked about, oh gosh, the, the, the Raman Western, when we talked about Tampopo, um, I think that that's also a very fair thing, since that's also around the same time as this, though that's a little bit later, I think that, that came out, what, in the 80s? Yeah. So that, you know, is influenced by these people being influenced by the generation before them. You know, it's, it's interesting that they all kind of have these overlapping um, influences, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And I think that, I think that you, you definitely hit on it also when you started talking about like the samurai film and that sort of thing, 
it's a similar it's a similar thing, right? Mm-hmm. Man comes into town, there are bad guys in town. Yeah. He fights them at the local saloon. He wins the day. He rides off in the sunset. He even leaves at the end of this damn thing. You know, he doesn't he doesn't stick around with the girl. Uh he 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 fucks off at the end of the thing. Well, yeah, because then that way we can also have this character do anything, anywhere. All He's journeying all the time, yeah. Exactly. The The story is never ending. Once once we choose for him to settle down, then it gets boring. What, do you, what is he going to do? Do Kung Fu with a baby strapped to his chest? That's, Teach it. That's, that, oh, perfect, perfect. That's, that's going to be the next one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that it's a... I hadn't seen this in a while, and going back and rewatching it, I definitely started to be like, oh yeah, I remember, I remember some of this. Um, but it was still really, really exciting in parts. You know, it's not always a perfect movie, but man, I tell you, like, it's electric whenever he is doing his thing. He has such charisma with the camera, and also just knows how to put action on screen in such a way that it's just absolutely electric whenever this movie is on. And this movie um, really flows really nicely to the point where you almost forget that half of the movie is this is just a whole bunch of dudes flexing in a in an alleyway for a while. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? <laughs> no, there's a lot of there's a lot of parts of this movie that are very just sort of like a 70s film just sort of slice of life kind of you know yeah i i loved the fact that they that their hobby was doing martial arts in the back alley and they ran this restaurant and the idea that these men had to like come in and change back into their chef and clothes to make some people some food was just like a hilarious like just yeah they go and take like a like a little martial arts break yeah, yeah, they were like, oh, you know, instead of a smoke break, let's live. Quick martial arts 15. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was just like, of course, you know, it was just very like, Hey, oh, guys, actual- get back on the clock. You know, oh my goodness, here, when in Rome, you know, <laughs> you just see some people yeah. doing martial arts in an alleyway. Don't mind them. Uh, what'd, you th- <laughs> what'd you think of, of dear young Chuck Norris? I honestly almost like missed him, you know, while we were watching it. Like I had because he doesn't have his iconic look yet. Exactly, I had no idea. I was just kind of like watching this movie, and then out of nowhere he appeared, and I was like, "Wait, Wait. hairy man, yeah, impossibly hairy." Um, I just think it's funny that like he's not the thing that I remember the most from this film. Does that make sense? <laughs> you know. Something like this, I I feel like, is like a lightning. You're like, ah, you remember the most interesting things, the the things that strike your attention. And I knew that I was going to be like, I'm going to remember Chuck Norris in this movie. And then I was like, did you see Bruce Lee's abs? So I think there's also a good question when it comes with, with Bruce Lee. What's your opinion on the extreme sort of stunt actor, these actors that go and and are able to do all of these kinds of incredible things? You know, do you have an opinion on, like, the Bruce Lees, the Jackie Chans, the Jet Lees to a certain extent? 
more when he first started his career, like Jason Statham. Um, I think you could make an argument for Tom Cruise now. Oh, yeah, the man's maniac. <clears throat> um, my, my opinion on Yeah, it? do you have any sort of opinion on them, on the practice? Um, I, I guess... Do you think that it's good? Do you wish more actors were this equipped? Um, yes and no, I guess. It it's really it really depends on the person, on the job. Um I think that there are good ways of doing this and I think that there are bad ways and unhealthy ways to do this. Um I've never been I've never been upset with the way that, that Jackie works um i think that his his attention to detail him wanting to make sure that he can get it perfect in shot i think that that's i think that that takes a lot of work and a lot of focus and like of course doing what he does he's probably going to get hurt some of the time but like he's he's really honed this thing down to like a like a science like an art and that has to be how that has to be applauded it, it's it's a lot of skill it's it's mentally and physically um but then there are also ways of of going too far and and putting not only yourself in danger but also other people in danger and i think that um if this movie had not been made in the 70s like i think that we should have had a better a better crew of of tough guys to go up against um bruce lee because that skinny dude with the mustache, every time he came up, I was like, oh no, not again. <laughs> You're gonna break poor Linguini. <laughs> like, it was, it was so horrible. And like, cause I know for a fact that Bruce Lee is not pull, holding back. He's not pulling anything. And so like, these guys are like, legitimately, like, probably pulling back as much as he can. But like, also he's going so fast. These yeah, shit people, happens. They're gonna get hit and they're gonna get hurt. Yeah. And I just, I felt so bad for the stunt people in this movie. Um, having to go up against somebody like Bruce Lee, who I know in this case was, was, was going all in. Yeah. You know, that's the only way to do something like that. Well, so, and that's the only way, going all in, that's really the only way to do any of this kind of stuff. Yeah, you have to throw yourself moment, into it. The moment that you really start to overly tense up or get nervous. That's the moment or, you get hurt. Yeah, that's the moment typically... And, like, a little bit of fear is a good thing, but you've got to commit at a certain point. You've just got to whole hog it and be like, I, I can do it. I'm yeah. going to do it. No, honestly, um, you just, it's 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 all about, it's, again, it's all about mindset, you know, because it is mind over matter. You have to tell your body that it's going to do something insane. And yeah. it, it needs to be fine with it. Uh, you are going to throw yourself at this wall and try and climb up it to a pole and do a flip. That's it. And then you're going to land on your feet. And then you're all going to do that all in one take. You're going to fall 20 feet. You're going to do a, you know, a tuck over. And and you're going to land in these boxes and pads and it's going to be fine. But you've got to do it now. You're going to, you're going to jump now. Yeah. Go. Push. Yeah. You know, um, so again, I guess my my opinion about the the practice is is touch and go. I think that what stunt people do is an amazing um amazingly misunderstood and misrepresented group of people. I think that um because we're so focused on the star that we're not realizing that a real person is is th putting their body on the line for for this job as well, you know. And for the for the same product but in and that's what you gotta applaud you know people like bruce lee who who are their own stunt 
person. You know, that's that's incredible. I think that Tom Cruise is insane because I could never imagine myself doing anything like that because that's just not who I am. But you know, you still have to be incredibly impressed also by the sheer just magnificence of will in order to 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 put yourself through through such crazy you know shit all of the time he was hanging out of a plane in one movie absolutely with a with a rope around his waist and that was it absolutely insane um but if you're again if you're gonna put somebody else in in harm's way in you know that's why i think that 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 method can be very toxic i think that it's kind of in the same vein as this it's, it's throwing yourself 110 percent into it in the in the only way that you think is necessary and like i i don't approve of the things that uh people like jared leto do on sets i think that that's disgusting i think that he needs to get his head out of his ass and and treat people with respect you know i think that there's a line no for sure <clears throat> with something like what Bruce Lee does and, and with stuff like Jackie Chan and these kinds of incredible stunt actor performer types, it's definitely something that I wish we had more of, or I guess I wish that maybe um, we have these incredible stunt performers that do all of these incredible stunts and I wish that more of our modern action films did a better job of highlighting how incredible their skills are. Yes. Because yes. when you when you really watch what some of these people can do, some of them can do incredible things and I definitely feel like with a lot of modern action films people sometimes all the all the CG stuff is is totally fine and totally good and totally has its place here. But when I go back and look at all of my favorite action beats from movies of, of multiple sizes and scales, most of the ones that really come to my mind almost immediately involve people. Yeah. And and most of them involve people who trained hard worked hard and either knew the choreo so well that it looked like they knew that they w were doing what they were doing mm -hmm. or uh you know they had stunt teams that were good enough and they knew how to shoot it well enough that no one noticed it or they did things like trained bob odenkirk for a year so that he could really do some of that stuff. No, yeah, and like, you know, the stuff that they did for for the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies where they put these people, you know, in in, in boot camp for a little bit to in training to 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 walk like their character to 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 talk like they're to fight like their characters, you know. It was really this this all intensive thing and I think that at the end of the day, you know, that's all a part of the work of acting you know doing doing the whole thing 100% putting yourself into you know any any kind of mental or physical conditions in a healthy way in order to to feel more authentic when when you're playing this character you know it's 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 also just as as much as um Meryl Streep when she was when she was doing um Julia Julia that movie yeah um where she was in she she stayed like one whole night at the at the set and just you know in the, in the kitchen 
opening and closing cabinets, moving things around, trying to figure out where everything was so that that way, once the, once the cameras were rolling, it was effortless. This was where she lived. This was her house. Yeah. And I think that, you know, this is just, I think that stunt people do not get, I think that we should have, you know, the next Jackie Chan by now. Like, why don't I have a name of somebody who's doing something like this? The next generation's version of this, whomever they are, whether or not they are, you know, of 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 Asian or Pacific Island descent, you know, anybody, because this is incredible, you know? Yeah. This is incredible, and I know that there are people out there who are doing this right now and are not getting the recognition. Nobody knows their names. No, absolutely, and and part of the the truth is there probably are people literally working today, right now, in movies that if I go and look for them, I could find incredible martial artists and incredible stunt performers doing that level of performance in a movie. Part of the benefit, part of the blessing and the curse of our current market of a film and television is that you have so much of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have so much choice, you have so much diversity, and that's great. Because that also means that a lot of people are getting opportunities to make shows and movies, to fill these platforms, to fill this airwave space, to put all of this stuff out there. But the issue then is also that it's so hyper-niche and so hyper-fractured also at a certain point that there are, at times sort of, I feel like, whiteouts of sound of, like, if something doesn't break through... It goes forgotten. I and unless I don't go hunting for it specifically, I'm never going to just find it. It's like being on a road trip and zoning out as you look out the window and then all the trees just become one big green blur. You know, you can't see any individual trees anymore. Unless something strikes your attention, you're not gonna like really get out of this haze. And yeah, I get it, you know, also on a certain level, like, oh boo hoo, you have to engage. But like I do wish that some major studio here in America was elevating some kind of talent right now that was this incredible, you know, or as incredible, yeah. you know, as, as Jackie Chan was back in his day, you know, or, or Bruce Lee was, or, or Tony Jaa, you know, for like a little bit more modern of an example than, than just, uh, Jackie Chan. Um, no, so, so I definitely, I see where you're at. And also as far as, going back to the discussion of it with, like, method acting, I think you're pretty right on. I think that um, it's about what the job demands. Mm-hmm. You know? Some jobs you need to believably be able to hold a gun. Some job you need to be able to speak Navi. Mm-hmm. Some jobs you need to be able to know that kitchen forwards and backwards. You know, exactly. it's about being prepared realistically for what you're what you're expected to do. To, to be to be so, you know, you've done this a hundred times now to the point where, like, it's now naturalized. This is how you do this, you know, instead of it feeling foreign. Because at the end of the day, that's going to read through the camera. Yeah. I'm going to be able to tell that you've never held that gun before, that this, this language is still hard for, for your English tongue to say, you know, that you do keep bumping your hip on that side of that counter, you know, it's... It, you have to you have to put it in or else 
we as the audience can't go on the ride with you. Yeah. Uh, so if you had to rate the way of the rate the way of the dragon out of five, what would you rate it? Um, I'm gonna give this movie a four and a half. Um, I think that the action is kicking. I really enjoyed the just like random storyline of this <laughs> this shop. Um, I had no idea where this movie was going for a lot of it. Um, I really enjoyed the opening that kind of had like a mime aesthetic of like him just kind of walking around until he finally found somebody that he could communicate with. I thought that that was like really, really interesting. Um, but I also, <laughs> I also have to, I, ha- I needed a better, I needed a better bad guy crew. I needed it. I needed it so bad. It was, it was so sad to watch these just dudes just, <laughs> just walk up and like genuinely look scared. To, like, to get hit by. <laughs> to get hit by Bruce Lee. Like, I, oh, it made me so sad to watch it. <laughs> those, those poor children. <laughs> but um, I thought that this, this movie um, was, was great. Just a fun, colorful blast of like a roller coaster ride to, to go down. And honestly, after watching it, like I'm, I'm stoked to, to watch more of them. I I, I want to go down through all of the 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 mini movies of 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 Bruce eventually. We'll, maybe we'll get the uh, the Criterion. Ooh, that sounds nice. Uh, I'll give it a four. Okay. I I think that it's a lot of fun. I agree. I think it is a real hoot. I think Bruce. I think Bruce Lee just has incredible chemistry. Um. Yeah, the camera loves him. Ugh. And he knows how to he knows how to be a performer. To your point not just of the of the body but of the face mm-hmm. you know he knows how to pull a funny face and he knows how to just be subtly seething with anger like he's he's a really great all-around performer um and i really 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 enjoyed um enjoyed going down this road again and and rewatching it and um it's a it's a special movie, and, and I, I definitely understand where you come from also of being like, this lived up to the hype. It does, and I think that that's a really impressive thing is is to have so much hype around you, like, a, like Bruce Lee, uh, and a Bruce Lee movie and what that means, and to be able to live up to that, I think is, is a really commendable thing. No, yeah, for sure. I think that... Um... I think that it still translates really well, you know, because um, there are some movies that were great for a generation and you understand why people liked it, but it's it's unwatchable now. Yeah. Um, moving on, uh, I guess we'll we'll start to round out our discussion on the show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to wrap up with a few quick sort of bits. Uh, first of all, We'll talk about what we're watching. Mm-hmm. Um, since the last time that we recorded, um, we haven't watched really anything, not together. No. Um, I've, I've been watching some Star Wars stuff, but I'll talk a, a little bit more about that later. Um, you've been watching, did you finish it? No, I still haven't finished 42. Um, I've been watching 42 in my lull periods at work. Um, this movie is like, I don't know, two two hours and 
two, more than two hours long. Um, but I've been really enjoying it. Um, I think that, I think that Chadwick Boseman is such a, is such a phenomenal actor and we've, we truly have lost an icon too soon. Um, he does a phenomenal job in this movie uh, playing Jackie Robinson, if you've never watched it before. Um, 42 is his number for the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, and it's just a phenomenal movie. I think that everybody does a great job. Um, I, I I can't wait to, I guess, see how it ends. I, I feel like I've seen this movie before, but it's been so long since since the last watch that it's it's a nice, fresh rewatch of it. Um, there's some, some fun faces that, that I recognize from, from random various things, uh, because we watch way too many things <laughs> in it that I wasn't expecting to see, which was, which was nice because this movie is, is older than the things that I'm watching now of them. So it's like going back in time and seeing like a younger version of them. It's fun. Um, no, I, I definitely, I definitely understand where you're coming from of like, catching a lot of someone more recently and then going back and seeing some of their earlier work. It's always, it's always interesting. Um, I haven't, like I said, I've been watching some Star Wars stuff, but I'm, I'm holding off on that. Beyond that, I haven't really watched terribly much in a little while. I watched 30 Days of Night. I can't remember if I talked about that one of the times that we recorded recently. Um, I've been, I've been replaying Red Dead 2 again. When it's perfect, you know, I mean, um, you do love it. It's, it's an incredible game. It really is. It's, it's breathtaking. And every time, every time I play it, I'm, I'm always redrawn into that world, into Arthur's story. And this time, like I was really, today I was also kind of like really trying to sit down and like enjoy it and really soak it up. And cause you know, sometimes when you play a game a lot, you can kind of like, start to go sort of tone deaf to to certain aspects of it you start to zone out of certain conversations and that sort of thing no yeah and so i was really trying to to be deep into it today when i was when i was playing some of it and like i really sat down and like read one of the letters that i picked up off of off of someone and and like i was really really having a good time with it um <laughs> you were because you were alone you could you could just take it as nice and slow as you wanted to <laughs> um, you don't have to rush to the action to keep me quote unquote entertained <laughs> <laughs> um and just to keep the story tight yeah know. no no well the thing is is there's so much to do in the game that you can just like wander around and <laughs> and pretty much be completely off off story for like days. Yeah. <laughs> Real life human days. <laughs> um beyond that, I did want to bring up some some sort of media news and media discussion topics that I thought would be worth bringing up. Um there were new trailers out that I wanted to talk about. The first one is for the new Olivia Wilde directed horror thriller thing don't worry darling yes um starring florence Pugh, herself of course uh olivia wilde uh harry styles uh-huh uh what what did what did you think of the trailer for don't worry darling um i think that it looks very 
interesting but also familiar um it, it, for me currently it feels very like Stedford Wives like very um perfect community filled with perfect people Stepford wives get out type of yeah exactly stuff. but there's something twisted and dark controlling the whole thing and it's it's not real and or or like the matrix yeah you know perfect reality Truman but it's, show stuff exactly exactly very um within that vein so i'm curious to see i guess how this movie switches it up yeah for me it was kind of like uh like Stepford wives meets like the Manhattan Project, you mm-hmm. know, because it's like this out in the desert testing facility mm-hmm. kind of thing. So it felt very 50s, hush hush government, you know, yeah, very UFOs like, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Especially with like the aesthetic as well that they're pulling for mm-hmm. um, the civilization, the the community as a, as a whole. It does feel very um, purposefully put back in time. But, you know, hopefully it's you know it's hopefully we're not completely picking this thing apart right now and it's not any more interesting than what we said so but i'm 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 looking forward to it i think that it's um if if oh gosh i don't know the the director's name who said that um if this is what olivia wilde can do oh uh no that was um not olivia wilde that was um Maggie Gyllenhaal that he was oh, speaking about. Oh, right, right, Paul right. Paul Schrader. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm mixing up my female directors. Mm-hmm. Um, my female directors who are former actors. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it looks it looks interesting. Um, it looks sexier than I was expecting it to be. But we'll we'll see what. Remember that article you saw that it was like Harry Styles gets steamy. Where Florence Pugh is the the whole main character. But you know that's a rant for another day. <laughs> it's just because they want to f- <laughs> they want to have sex with them. That's um, But yeah. I'm curious. Florence Pugh is having a really um, strong career currently. So yeah. you know I'm fuck it let's 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 watch this movie it doesn't look boring no that's fair the next trailer that i wanted to bring up was for the roku original yeah i'm not sure if you really noticed that it's like a it's like a roku movie oh my gosh it's gonna be the ones that are gonna advertise on our tv yeah yeah Weird, the Weird Al Yankovic story starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al. Um, I'm super pumped for the movie. I thought that the trailer, I'm hoping that biopics are such a tough thing because unless you do the standard formula tremendously well, or you find a way to do a biopic that doesn't follow the traditional rules of the formula, then you just end up with a, yeah, it's fine, biopic movie. And that's in many ways an even more unforgivable sin than being bad, Mm -hmm. is being just sort of, eh, it was good. Well, because it didn't leave an impression at all. A bad movie will leave a nasty taste in your mouth, but if if you didn't even notice it, like, it's almost like it didn't exist. And so biopics, whether it's music, history, what have you, I'm super, super critical of. I'm super very um, nervous about all of them. Like once a year, Disney released for a little while. I'm not sure if they're still doing it. Like some sort of biopic 
you know, like the like the one where Chris Pine went and saved the dudes who were at that on that boat that was lost at sea. You know, it was it's like the equivalent of Greyhound for me. Of of just that was one of them. Then there was like the sports one that they did with John Hamm, Million Dollar Arm, that was about getting the like uh the the um cricket playing kids into out of India and into baseball here in America. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I may have been asleep because I straight up don't remember any of these. None of this sounds familiar. Yeah, they were doing like these real easy breezy biopics, you know, very safe, almost Hallmark, you know, movie level productions like one a year for a little while there. I like, again, it's one of those things that it didn't leave an impression. So I literally forgot it existed. Um damn sorry disney you've got enough money i think that weird looks weird i think that it looks nuts it doesn't look based on this very limited trailer you only get like 50 seconds of footage it doesn't look like it's going to be anything traditional well i mean also like the subject matter entirely is just not traditional um i think that i think that if you have a you know, I think that if you're making a movie off of Weird Al... Why are you going to go and do something normal? Exactly, exactly. Like, you, you, you absolutely can't. That's your... That defeats the whole purpose. Exactly. Exactly. Um, um, no, I think that the movie... Uh, I think the movie looks great. I'm curious to hear more of Daniel talk. I think that that's going to be the thing, the make or break for me, is, like, how much of Daniel Radcliffe I can hear through the Weird Al... Does that make sense? I'm hoping that we actually get him to sing. Singing. I, I hope, hope we do too. I'm hoping that the that the song in the trailer was just it's just the trailer. We're just going to use Weird, Weird Al. Al. I'm, I'm hoping. hoping that Daniel because he can sing. He can sing. He was on Broadway. So I'm hoping that we're. Gonna I'm hear... hoping that we can hear him sing. I I really want the whole thing. I want the I want performer Daniel. Yeah. Right here and now. Um, and not that he ever disappoints. And I'm not expecting him to. But like. This is this is such an such an iconic individual, and I think that this is probably the biggest thing away from Harry Potter that you can possibly get to, um, next to Equus. Yeah. Um. Next up, there were there were two things that I wanted to bring up. First one was uh, Sam Raimi's Spider Man turned twenty this week. Oh wow! The original Sam Raimi's Spider Man turned twenty. Love that 20. movie. It's an incredible movie, and I just wanted to to give it that little bit of a shout out because it is like a a real foundational movie for me. You know, like that's back when I was like eight or nine, um, or nine no. going on ten. Yeah, um, yeah. I was like, hold <clears throat> on, exactly twenty years. Yeah, so I was nine going on ten, um, and. And that movie really meant, like, a lot to me, and that franchise meant a lot to me. I played, like, all the games that came out with the movies. Like, I was really, really deep into it, and so um, it's always good to celebrate movies that you especially loved that had an impact on you, and and that's definitely one. And so since it turned 20, I decided to, to give it a little shout-out. Um, the other thing is, it is currently, as we're recording... Star Wars Day. It is! It's May the 4th. Tomorrow's Revenge of the 5th. Um, I'm on the outs lately with Star Wars a little bit. Um, 
just because I don't like what what's currently happening with with the brand. But I've been going back and rewatching all of them because we've been playing this, this the Skywalker uh, Saga Lego game. Um, is it the Skywalker Saga? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Gosh, I hate when things have subtitles. I never remember what they are. And so I've been going back through since we've been playing that, and I've been very slowly rewatching the movies. And so, like, I watched, uh, and I I do them, you know, chronologically. So I did one through three, then I watched the old like two thousand four, ish, um, animated Clone Wars TV show by Gendy Tartakovsky. Um, mm-hmm. Then I did. Well, I mean, I did that between two and three. Then I did Solo, then Rogue One. I haven't started the the original trilogy yet. Okay. So I'm I'm up to Rogue One. Copy. Um, Rogue One has some of the most like breathtaking last forty minutes of a, of a Star Wars movie ever. Uh, the entire last battle of Scarif is incredible. Overall, my, my opinion on, on Star Wars is, I think, this. Um, it's going to kind of almost be, uh, you know, we, we launch ourselves 100 years forward in time. I think that the original Star Wars movies, and maybe even some stuff like Rogue One and Solo, will stand still. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, the rest of it will probably be lost to the sands of time. Um, you know, like, I don't, I don't, I don't really think that most people, like, 150 years from now are gonna be like, you know what you need to watch to understand, you know, this, this time time period. You need to watch all three seasons of The Mandalorian, plus two seasons of The Book of Boba Fett, and... All of the seasons of Ahsoka, but don't forget, before you watch that, you have to also watch The Clone Wars. I don't think that's happening. You're (laughs) telling me that future people aren't going to put in the work for all of this stuff that people are making for money? And so I think that, like, the Star Wars movies and going back and rewatching the movies, even the lesser movies like Solo... Or like Attack of the Clones, which I consider lesser Star Wars movies, or Phantom Menace. There still is some sort of grandioseness to them. There is still something that is um, palpable and fun and interesting about them. And they are still sort of grounded together in a, in a better way, I think, than all of this other stuff. And like with the MCU, I think that people will remember Iron Man through the first Avengers movie. And then maybe the Avenger sequels after those. Mm-hmm. But, like, do I think that everyone 150 years from now is going to be, like, Iron Man all the way through to Endgame, let's go. I think that that's maybe a little bit more but, likely. But don't you dare forget about Phase 4. Because, oh, no. Because the future people are definitely going to pay attention to all of the, the nitty-gritty TV shows. That's right. That's right. So I think that I think that that's all a little bit all over the place for me, and so um, I I think that Star Wars and I have a very complicated legacy, or I have a very complicated opinion on where Star Wars is now and where it's going. 
But, like, I still love the old Star Wars movies. Like, going back and really looking at some of those, you know, episodes one through three in, like, the old Clone Wars cartoon, there's some really, really great stuff in those. And, like, Rogue One is so, so kick-ass. Um, it is a shame because now when I go back at Rogue One, I kind of feel like that's the beginning of what eventually leads us to that horrible, horrible abomination that is resurrected Carrie Fisher and then, of course, gets us further down the road to horrible, um, deep fake Mark Hamill in, in, um, Mandalorian or Book of Boba Fett or whatever the hell it was. But, um... Well, you know, only the good die young, so then they had to de-age them all. Mm-hmm, that's right. Because they had gotten old, and they can't be that. Um, but that's... That's pretty much all that I had uh, in mind. It is also kind of um, summer movie season. The The first weekend, I always considered the first weekend of May to kind of be when summer movie season starts. And actually, ironically enough, going back to Marvel, that's the weekend that Marvel used to use as like their flagship weekend. Like the first weekend in May, that's when you knew when it was a, a big Marvel movie coming out because that's when the Avengers movies came out mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And so that's this weekend. And of course, guess what's coming out this weekend? A big Marvel thing? A Marvel movie. It's uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness. Well, look at us. Almost mm-hmm. almost like clockwork. And they think that they're they're over here tricking the system. Oh, no. They, they've had them booked out for years. Like, they book out in advance. They just go and... and pick dates, and then they put films later, like, into spots. I mean, yeah, but that's that's also because it's a machine. Yeah. Um, but that's, like I said, pretty much all that I had. Um, for y'all, go and, of course, check out last week's episode on Arbor Day, like I mentioned earlier on. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I'll link all of those socials down below. You can contribute to us on Patreon. We've got special bonus episodes on Bandcamp. You can email us. I brought this back around. You did. You can email us questions, comments, concerns, ideas. Anything you want. Maybe, you know, not anything graphically nude or violent, but... Everything that, that is, is appropriate for children. You know, send it our way. We're, we're happy to, to take all sorts of, of feedback. Uh, if you are a critic and you would like to come on to the show, reach out to us. We'd love to have you. Mm. Um, beyond that, I don't think that I really have anything else. Uh, be sure to, of course, join us next week as well. Um, we're going to be doing sort of like impactful touchstone films. And so currently I think, uh, it's going to be the Joy Luck Club and Minari. Um, but that also might have a a little bit of a shift up depending. Um, but we'll keep y'all of course informed on all of that. Dear, do you have anything else that you would like to, to say to the listeners? Um, happy, happy Star Wars day. Um, may, may the fourth be with you and 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 all that jazz and um happy 
Happy Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Yeah, it's going to be a great journey together. We're we're going to have a fun time. We're going to learn. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. It's going to be great. We're going to go on an emotional journey through um, time, space, and history. No, absolutely, and we're gonna we're gonna celebrate. You know, people that that help make America great in in a very real way. You know, by by providing their very unique cultural lens and and all that they they bring to to the country. Yes, exactly. I mean you 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 said it great. Thank you. Uh my last message is um you know, and and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on it, but um people's bodies are their own and um if if you in any way support any kind of falderall that involves people feeling that they can infringe on the rights of other people's, you know, bodily autonomy, especially in 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 the case of instances like abortion and a woman's right to choose and things like that, this channel ain't for you. And uh and that's really all that I have to say on that. Thank you guys as always for for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate everything that y'all do. Uh, we hope that we bring some some good information and some good some good joy to your week, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Bye.